everyone. Welcome to the Legacy Cafe podcast with your host, Rob Lucy, author of the book, How Will You Be Remembered? The Definitive Guide to Creating and Sharing Your Life Story. So grab yourself a cup of coffee and find yourself a seat in the Legacy Cafe. Here's Rob. Thank you, Kathy. I'm Rob Lucy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Legacy Cafe. This is going to be a real intriguing podcast today because we're going to cover a study called Leaving a Legacy, a Lasting Gift to Loved Ones. This study was completed by a couple of America's, uh, I'll call them America's heavy hitters in financial and the legacy world, and that is Merrill Lynch in New York and a company called AgeWave in California. And it notes that a legacy is one of life's greatest gift to loved ones, but there's some shockers that came out in my mind in the study. So let's dig in with the man who is the research director and spokesman. Ken Dykewald is a psychologist and gerontologist, and he's made a life study out of where our society is heading, and especially as we, as we age. Ken is the CEO of AgeWave, and I think he's on the line from Emeryville, California. Ken, are you there? I sure am. It's good to hear your voice, Rob. Thank you very much. Let's fly the helicopter up. What was the reason for this research and, and, this, uh, and, the, and the people you talked to? How many did you talk to? But what was the goal? A number of years ago, we were approached by the leadership of Bank of America Merrill Lynch, and they were interested to better understand people and their lives, and commissioned my company, AgeWave, to examine. We did a series of about 10, 12 different studies to look at different aspects of people's lives as they live longer and grow older, from where they want to live to how much they want to give to their communities to what their worries and hopes are regarding health to what are their bucket list dreams and leisure. And clearly one of the biggest issues that was sort of looming in this whole territory was how do people uh, think and feel these days about the end of their lives, that whole period? And how is it people want to leave a legacy? And even more importantly, what do they want that legacy to be? And so all in, in these studies, we surveyed over 50,000 people. This particular study was 3,000 people. Um, a representative sample in the U.S. I apologize we didn't have a Canadian sample, but my guess is there's a lot of similarities. And um, we heavily loaded the sample to have people over the age of 55. So we got a chance to kind of go down into people's hearts and minds and souls a little bit to see what they were worried about, what they felt, what they were hopeful about regarding this chapter in their life. You've made a, a, your life's work has been in this field. What were the shockers that in, in this one? Let me tell you what the biggest shockers to me were. First of all, when we asked people, you know, what matters in life? Um, overwhelmingly, I mean, it wasn't even close. People did not say it was being famous or how many Instagram followers I have or even my career. People said what matters in life were the people I love and the people who love me and my what I've got of greatest value are the memories I've shared with these people. And they really relegated real estate and money and such to a lower rung. Um, we, uh, another shocker to me was that um, even in this modern age where people seem so willing to talk about so much, people realize that there's so much they want to talk to their children or their spouse about regarding how they want to be remembered, who they want to become in their last years how they want to be thought about afterward. A huge amount of people do not have these conversations that we, there's something sensitive and a little uncomfortable about the whole thing. 
And, and the last thing I want to say is that um, I think when people pass their 50th or 60th birthday, Rob, and I think you and I have both done so, um, they don't only think about, you know, how much they want their resume to tell about them, but what are people going to say at their eulogy, you know? And then people, if they're thinking that, they realize, you know, there's still time. If I'm 57 or 66 or even 94, there's still time for me to be the person I want to be, the best version of me, and to have gratitude about that so that that becomes the way people think of you. You can decide to take up an encore career. You can be kinder to your loved ones. You can give away your money, whatever you might have. You can build a church. You can ask for forgiveness from people you might have had fights with. There is still time in life to course correct. By the way, the twister in all this was what people really want to be remembered for their best self. When we ask people, if you don't put some of the basic fundamental kind of legal and health directive elements in place, how should you be thought of? And they said, anybody who doesn't do that should be thought of as irresponsible. So there's the catch, that if I want to be thought of as a wonderful dad or husband, but if I leave a mess for my family for avoiding this, then they're going to say, you know, dad was a great guy, but wow, what a mess he left us. So ironically, that becomes your legacy. That I, that I have run into, and I'm sure you have too, when, when dad goes and, and exactly that phrase, what a mess he's left because nobody knows who's getting what and, and we're now into the courts and using lawyers and blah, blah. Yeah, and uh, siblings can battle and plus there's all sorts of wonderful, uh, for example, people felt within their families that the most important thing to pass along were uh, values and life lessons. And, and by the way, you've not asked me to do this, but I am going to say, I've got your book in front of me, How Will You Be Remembered? And I read through it these last few weeks and it is the best, honestly, the best resource I've ever encountered for all the kinds of ways that people can tell their stories and pass them on from generation to generation. No, thank you. We, we, we need to make the effort to do that. If I hadn't sat down with my mom and dad, who lived into their 90s with my little hand recorder and, and asked them to tell about how they met and what their kind of stories were of their youth and what it was like for my dad to have been in the military in World War II and what they were hoping for their grandchildren and, and, and what stories about their lives they would hope would live on for generation and generations. If I hadn't taken the time to do that. It's gone. It's gone. And so it's so much easier today with all these you know apps and devices in the palm of our hand but taking time to not only want to pass your legacy but taking the time to receive it from your mom your dad your brother your sister and getting your kids to do it with you very important i'm gonna i don't want i want to get into the four pillars of legacy but before that what you spoke about just a moment ago and that is the reticence to talk about me or to let people know about me where's the catalyst to break that well, here's what I think. Uh, over a decade ago, we did our first study about this, and, and I know you're aware of it. It was done in partnership with Allianz. And um, we went into the focus groups, and we asked people, how do you want to receive an inheritance? And how do you want to pass your inheritance? And you know what, Rob, nobody wanted to talk about it. And uh, the focus groups were terrible. And then we started asking people, how come you don't want to talk about this? And they said, oh, it's, it's too uncomfortable a subject. It's, you know dividing up the loot, you know, it's burying me before our time. And so I said to the focus group moderator, change the word. 
ask people, would you like to leave a legacy? Would you like to receive a legacy? And the floodgates opened. Hmm. And so I think if you keep it focused on money or stuff, it gets stuck. Although, you know, you have to handle that, of course. But when you open it up to other dimensions, in fact, we, we crafted this idea that there were four pillars to legacy. And then I'll tell you what they were, and we wanted to know which was most important. Mm-hmm. But one pillar of legacy is, do you have the appropriate documents in place so that if you have any wealth or insurance policies, and whether you have $10 million or, you know, a baseball glove, that um, it's clear as to how that's going to be passed. That mattered to people. What mattered more to them were possessions that had emotional value. You know, there was a study done at the University of of Minnesota, who gets grandma's yellow pie plate? And we all know what that means. You know, there's pictures, there's photo albums, there were family heirlooms that, that just matter a lot. And they may not be worth that much, but you know, the house by the lake, if the family had an extra property. But then more important than that, were instructions and wishes to be fulfilled. I'll give you an example. My mom and dad had the good fortune of being in love and married for 71 years before my dad passed away. And he had become blind in his last 10 years from diabetes and my mom had Alzheimer's. And my father in his later years asked my brother and I to come and spend the week with them, which we did regularly. They lived in Florida. And he spent the day, just my brother and I, telling us all of his wishes about how he wanted our mom to be looked after. He didn't want her in a nursing home. He wanted us to spend whatever was necessary, whatever we had. He always wanted her to feel secure and loved. And we agreed to all of that. By the way, with honor, we agreed to it. And indeed, when my dad passed, my brother moved in with my mom. I supported her in all the ways to get home care and care, and she died uh, a little while ago in both of our arms. And the truth of it is, is that my dad showed great respect for us and his wife by having his instructions and wishes clear. He must have also felt a certain amount of peace of mind having us look him in the eye and tell him that we would honor his wishes and we would love to do so because we loved our mom. But the most important legacy element that people want to leave are their values and life lessons. And I don't mean just, oh, dad, did you go to Woodstock or not? And, you know, what was your most fun rock concert? It's the things that matter. What do you hold to be true? What do you hold to be dear? How do you feel about religion? What do you believe about the role of children? What did you like and not like about being a parent? What can we learn from you? You know, in the 14th century, In multiple religions, there were two types of wills. One was called a material will, and that included your material possessions and how you wanted them passed from generation to generation. The other was called an ethical will. And in that, people identified the truths, the wisdom, the beliefs, and how they wanted those passed from generation to generation. And I think we've gotten too caught up in material things in this last century or so. And frankly, I think you feel the same as I look at your book that we need to get this ethical will, or let's call it a legacy file together to pass it along. This, uh, you've talked about some of the pillars of legacy. One is the, the transfer of, of, of goods, of money, uh, late life instructions that you said to your dad, yeah, we'll, we're gonna get this done. And then the roots, the shared stories. There's another one that I came to, I mean, that's kind of the giving while living. 
um, part of legacy, and that is you don't have to wait to hear it from your eulogist, what the heck you did in your life. Create stuff now that you can enjoy that does connect you to people. Yeah, it was very two interesting kind of jolts from this recent study that we did with Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. Um, one of them was that about two-thirds of the population said that they'd be okay not waiting till their death to pass their legacy and inheritance. And in fact, they'd be comfortable, they said, passing about 30% of their wealth or their possessions. And we asked them why, and they said, you know, life has gotten so long now that by the time we, our life comes to an end, our kids may be 60 or 70 years old. If they're in their 30s and 40s and trying to buy a home or the grandkids are trying to go to college, why not give some of that to them now so that they can get the benefit of it? And you know what else? We can see the smiles on their faces and, and, and feel the good feelings for having helped them out along the way. The other thing that came out of our study was that a growing number of people don't feel that the legacy and inheritance must be passed equally. Um, you know, it used to be before the 20th century that there were protocol. You know, the oldest son would get the farm and the, the oldest daughter would get a dowry. I mean, it was all kind of rules and regulations. But in the 20th century in Canada and the United States, it largely became uh, democratized and equal. So if you had four kids, you divided up whatever you had equally four ways. What we saw in this study is that parents said that if one of their children looks after them and cares for them in their later years and makes sacrifices in so doing, then maybe they should receive more. And a child that uh, has been less involved, less interested, less supportive, maybe should receive less. And uh, I have a hunch that's a trend that's going to continue. I'm going to hope that uh, people listening to us will take a look at these four pillars of legacy. And I've got an idea, that, but I'll leave that for a second. One, one thing I'm going to ask, you started these studies 10, 15 years ago. And I remember then it was back then that the, the, the surprising thing for me was that it, it kind of highlighted that the boomers didn't want the dough. Don't, we're not worried about the dough and, and the stuff. We want the stories. We want to know where we came from. They want to feel connected to, I guess, their parents and their grandparents. Well, let me clarify. It's not as though people don't want the wealth or the house or the savings account. They do, but they view it to be not as important as these more kind of spiritual and emotional and kind of special exchanges. I'll give you one example. When my mom passed away two years ago, we were clearing out her closet. And the last few years of my dad's life, he'd been kind of a grumpy guy. Um, he was not happy with being blind and not happy with my mom being, you know, cognitively impaired. And, and that's the way my kids knew him, that grandpa was a good guy, but a grumpy guy. But when my mom passed away, we cleared out her closet. And what did my kids find in her closet but a box? And in the box, there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of little pieces of paper, every one of them a love note from my dad that he must have ripped off the side of an envelope or a piece of a sheet of paper and put it on her car or on her pillow and she saved them and these were from an entire lifetime and so my kids came away thinking wow grandpa he was in love with grandma that was a love story what a guy and so interestingly what they'll always remember about my dad their grandfather was not his house or if they received a little bit of money when he died but his love notes and I, I think that we all have stories 
like that. I will tell you, however, in our study, we asked millennials did what mattered to them to receive from their parents. And they said they wanted honest communication and they wanted to be a part of the discussion about parents' wishes. But they were also hoping for some kind of a payday. And uh, I think it's partly because a lot of young people are struggling with the cost of living and the cost of university and credit card debts, that they're hoping for a little help from their parents financially. And I think that might be influencing them. But I do think that, I don't know, I guess everybody will come to their own perspective on this. But one thing we know for sure is that we're all going to pass away. And in the past, it used to be more abrupt. We were more likely to die of accidents or trauma or acute illnesses. Now, with chronic illnesses taking us down slowly in our later years, we have time, most of us, to think about what do I want to be remembered for? Do I want to help a charity? Do I want to be kinder? Do I want to give it away? And um, so I think it's more, there's a time now, perhaps like never before, for all of us, whether you're rich or poor or money doesn't even matter. Uh, What's the legacy you want to leave? Are you taking the steps to do so? I do want to say, though, that as you began this, this interview, this discussion, Rob, we did feel that there were three really critical legal elements of a legacy. So separate from the stories and the pictures and the videos. And you know, one of them, of course, is a will. So it can be made clear what your intentions are. The other is a healthcare directive. So you can make it clear what you believe, what you wish your treatments might or might not be like towards the end of your life. And the third is a power of attorney. So that if you're no longer able because of illness or a cognitive Alzheimer's problem or such, or if you pass away, that those that you designate can take the legal actions necessary to manage the affairs of your life without a lot of chaos and drama. And that's good organization, but only up to 20% have done this legacy plan as you described it. So that leaves 80% of us saying, Dad, Dad, Dad sure left a heck of a mess. Yeah, and I think the movies are partly to blame. You know, if you watch movies, they have linked up this idea of getting your affairs in order as being kind of a signal that somebody's, you know, going to die within minutes. You know, the doctor will come out to the waiting room and the family's there and the doctor says, it's time that he got his affairs in order. And I think mistakenly we've come to think, well, this is what you do when you're at the very end. And then it gets complicated because if you have a loved one and you say, hey, let's talk about your legacy plan they're thinking that you're like putting a hex on them. You're wishing that they die in a few minutes. So in our study, people said that folks ought to do this just as a matter of course before they turn 50, and then every five years or so revisit it and course correct it, but don't tie it in with a crisis or drama. Just have it be the kind of thing you do out of respect for your loved ones and out of wanting to shape and sculpt the way you'll be remembered. All the experience you've had over the last 40 years or so, do you come out of this study feeling differently? Is it, are you more positive, optimistic? Are you encouraged? Are you kind of saying, no, oh, gee, guys, come on, let's get it together here. I mean, are we, are we going down a rabbit hole or are we heading up to the top of the mountain? I don't. I think we're more heading down a rabbit hole. I would tell you that with you know people like yourself and there's various books and articles and broadcasts and movies that have been appearing where people are more willing to openly and lovingly talk about wishes for end of life and how one wants to be remembered. But 
but largely, I mean, when we saw that only 18% of the public had put together these three, you know, the will, the advanced healthcare directive, and a power of attorney, it sure looks like people are avoiding this. And, and maybe that's one of the side effects of living longer lives that we sort of get the impression that we're, in, we're never going to reach an end, you know, that it'll never happen to us and we, we put everything off. But I think uh, we would do well, if not even for yourself and your own peace of mind, do it for your loved ones, you know, because otherwise they're going to miss your stories or they'll never know this about what mattered to you in your life. By the way, that's one other hook that in this modern age, if people don't leave a mechanism for someone to get access to their accounts, now that so much is online and digital, mm -hmm. you don't have a password to somebody's Facebook account, you can't close it down. Or, you know, if somebody hit, hit away there where all their policies are and it's password protected and they've never put together a, a way for someone else to get access to that through a power of attorney or something, that's a new problem in this modern age, that it used to be families would have a lockbox at the bank or, or a, you know, a, in the cookie jar, they'd keep their information or, you know, some such place. Now, a lot of people can spend weeks or months or even years trying to sort their way through somebody's business. And that can be really, really difficult. Yep. In, in my public talks, I talk about the joy of knowing that your descendants 20, 30 or 50, 200, 900 years from now, It'd be a great deal of joy for them to say, hey, that's great, 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 great uncle or grandpa Ken and his blood flows in us. So we got to do it today. I mean, people are doing their DNA tests and we're getting some statistics back, but we're not getting the stories of our ancestors. We have the power here through digital technology to send our stories down so that, um, that we can feel good that we are leaving them a, a sense of who we were and what we did. You just, Rob, you just triggered two other thoughts in my head. Uh, one of them practical and the other a little more uh, uh, playful. The practical one, uh, in the next few years, I think there's going to be breakthroughs in medical science, particularly genomics, where we're going to have precision medicine. So you will be getting, whether it's a fitness regime or a pharmaceutical or nutritions that are geared to your specific makeup to help you be optimally healthy. Well, a key part of that is knowing your parents' medical and genetic history. That's theirs. That's private information unless they make it available to you when they pass or when you want it. You can't ever get your hands on it. And that's so medical data is going to be a part of legacy transference as well. The other one is an idea that I thought of in doing this study. You know, I was the family sort of videographer when our kids were growing up. So at their swim meets and their dances and my son's basketball games and such. I took, I don't know, hundreds of videos over the course of their lives, but they were in boxes and reels and in drawers. And while we were working on the study, I thought, you know, let me, let me help them out. So I found a local place, they're everywhere now, where they took all of those videos and digitized them. And then we put a platform together that's based in the cloud so that my kids and maybe one day their kids and maybe one day their kids can always see those videos of our family. So rather than keeping them in on reels, in boxes, I went, I took a little bit of an effort to create something that I hope one day my kids will laugh and play and see those videos and crack up and say, boy, I'm so glad dad did that. And so there are all those things we can think of when we think of how do we pass the baton. 
Let me tell you about a personal experience I had uh, about a little over a year ago. My wife and I and our kids, our kids are 28 and 31, so they're not little guys, and we don't get to see them that often, but we decided to take one of these safaris to Africa that people rave about, and I have to say it was fantastic. And, you know, partly what was amazing was you get to see, you know, what the world is like before every human started putting their things and stuff on it. And one of the things that struck me in the week we were in the savannah, we were in Kenya, was how you saw little baby animals everywhere. You know, you'd see a herd of elephants and there'd be little baby elephants. And you'd see lions and there'd be little baby lions. And you'd see birds and little baby birds. And that was pretty beautiful. But then you'd also see dead animals everywhere. <laughs> and nobody was making a big deal. It was like, you know, the hippo died and it was dead. And uh, that was that. And I, I thought, wow, I mean, that is, that is, it's, it's as natural as life that there are births and there are deaths. And neither one of them is bizarre or should be railed against. They're both a part of the cycle. And um, it really got me thinking about how I realize that we can be frightened of death. Some people are. We can be frightened of dying. I think many of us are. Or we can be frightened of having somebody we love either be dying or pass away. And it's a complicated thing, but boy, out in nature, <laughs> it was far less complicated. And it was a good lesson for me to, and our kids and our family to talk about it. And to see the way those little babies were a part of the same kind of wheel of life as the, the elder that had passed away. So my mom lived to her 93rd year, and in fact, we had a birthday for her on her 93rd birthday. My wife, my brother, my kids, my brother's girlfriend, and, and, and it was beautiful. And my mom had dementia, but she sort of realized what was going on, and she loved it and blew out her candles and smiled, and we all told her how much we loved her. And then I didn't leave, because I got the feeling sometime in the coming weeks she was reaching the end of her days and and um, over the last week of her life my brother and I held her we had hospice there at her home uh, and my mom didn't speak much towards the end but I asked her I had a time with her by myself and I said mom look back over your life which part of your life was the best part of your life she closed her eyes and I thought she just was sort of off in a fog but she wasn't she was thinking about a half an hour later, I was sitting there right by her bed, very close to her face. She opened her eyes and looked at me and she said, every part of my life was the best part of my life. Mm -hmm. And that's the last thing she said. The next day, my brother and I were both holding her and she, she passed. And after she died, people said to me, oh, how sad that your mom died. And I said, God, it wasn't really sad at all. I mean, I miss her, that's sad. But her passing was beautiful, and she was a beautiful woman. And my brother and I were right there loving and holding her. And um, I think we've wrapped all of this negativity around end of life. And I don't know how I'll feel when my time comes or somebody I love most deeply who my age passes. But in my mom's situation, similar to what happened with my dad, we felt that the passing was in its own way spiritual, and I felt it was a rare honor to be able to be there with my dad and then my mom uh, when they were, you know, leaving this body, leaving this earth. And um, I don't know uh, where people are inclined to want to talk to you about how sad and terrible it was. And in my case, at least with both of my parents, there was a beauty to it.
for the people listening to us? What do we think on I? Yeah, what's the next step they should take? Yeah, there's a few things. First of all, take care of the basics, even though they're awkward and unpleasant and not fun. You know, get your will handled. Put your advanced health care directives in place and also identify and get a little help with putting together a power of attorney. You just have to do those. I mean, that's the basics. That's like putting on your seatbelt and, you know, and securing your kids and their seat in the back of the car. Um, then I would say think about if you've got a mom or a dad or an elder relative still alive, wouldn't it be respectful to take a little bit of time to sit down with them? And frankly, I would even recommend using your book, How Will You Be Remembered? Because there's lots of prompts about the questions you might ask. I've made up my own list, but it almost doesn't matter. If you sit down, and it's not the same if you get just a letter or you have some pictures. Hearing people's laugh, seeing the twinkle in their eye, seeing people remember stories, to do that. If you don't, it's gone. I mean, I filmed my dad the last night of his life, and we had this beautiful discussion. And I got to tell you, every couple of weeks, I watch it. I miss him. He's gone, but I watch it, and I think to myself, God, I'm so glad I did that. And I bet he was glad I did it, too. So take some actions. It doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be time-consuming. Take some actions. Also, I would say, and last, um, if what people are going to say about you is not what you wish they'd say about you with whatever decades years or minutes you've got left become the person you wish you were hmm. i've talked i was just thinking of a number of instances when i've sat beside folks that are 20 30 years older from than me and we started telling stories and i'm amazed and i ask have your do your kids know this and they say no they're not interested in that I pull out a little tape recorder, always travel with one, and his name is George, say, and I say, George, tell me about that first crossing of the Atlantic in 42. And he says, well, and then he starts a story, and the stories are Spielberg movies, but their kids don't know them because they've never asked. So anybody listening now, if you've got somebody whose story you'd love to collect, just sit down beside them, turn on the iPhone and say, Grandma, tell me about your schooling. Grandma, tell me about the first time you fell in love. Grandma, tell me about your first car. Grandma, tell me about your and grandpa's favorite holiday. It doesn't matter. Once they start talking, the, the river will flow. Yeah, and it could if it's not a blood relative, you might have a buddy or a friend and say, hey, you know what? Maybe our, we're too uncomfortable telling our kids this now, but let's have some fun and record this. And, uh, you know, the rich people do it. The celebrities do it. Uh, and they're not all that interesting often. Do it with <laughs> your friend. Or do it as a gift to a friend. Hey, as a birthday present, say, you know what? I'm going to spend an hour interviewing you. And that's my gift to you. And mm -hmm. um, whether you're, we post it or you just want to keep it secret or you want to share it with your grandkids, that's a gift. I think we ought to be doing more of that. Is there anything you can send down to us that we can give to our, uh, our listeners of the Legacy Cafe? Yeah, and I'd be glad to. I'm honored to be a part of your, your ecosystem. One of them is this entire study. Uh, which has got a lot of insights and a lot of suggestions in it. Um, leaving a legacy is this special gift. Let me make it available. Let me send you a version of that in a PDF so that that can be available to all your right. listeners. Perfect. And also, you. you know, there's a couple of my books. I don't ever like it when people are hawking their books, but I, my last book was called With Purpose and talks about, you know, the you, you can become in this stage of your life. But I will also tell you, my wife and I, a few years ago, 
We created a children's book called Gideon's Dream, A Tale of New Beginnings. And it's about a caterpillar who dreams of flying and decides to turn himself into a butterfly. And for us, it was sort of a metaphor for transformation in life or either or even end of life. And it, it's done very well around the world. And it's a great story for grandmas and grandpas to read to their little ones. And uh, it's a sweet book. And we're very proud to have created that. So maybe we can post something about how to find that on your website as well. We will do that. We'll get the study up and then both books with purpose and Gideon's Dream. And, um, and people can come to um, LegacyCafe.org slash AgeWave, A-G-E-W-A-V-E, LegacyCafe.org slash AgeWave for all, all of those three items. Ken, this has been fabulous. I'm, I'm, I love the work you're doing. It's, it's, it must be so fascinating to watch the sometimes glacial movement of our society and, and sometimes little spurts of it to know where it came from and where it's going and... Uh, um, and this, I'm looking forward to reading the whole study. It'll be uh, a whole bunch of learning for me and probably have me cause, cause me to change a bunch of stuff in my book, too. Well, thank you. And, uh, and thanks for inviting me to join you for this discussion. I think what you're doing is great. Terrific. Ken Dykewald was the research director and the sp- spokesperson for the study, Leaving a Legacy, A Lasting Gift to Loved Ones. You'll get it. You'll get that study by going to LegacyCafe.org forward slash AgeWave. Plus a look at at a couple of Ken's books. Thank you very much to Ken and to all of you. We hope you enjoyed this. I'm Rob Lucy. See you next time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Legacy Cafe podcast. We have lots of great conversations coming your way. And by the way, if you want us to send you reminders that a new podcast is ready for you, go to LegacyCafe.org to subscribe. That's LegacyCafe.org. Have a great day and remember, the coffee and conversations are always hot at the Legacy Cafe.